Good morning, Gator Nation, and welcome back to this incredibly epic in all kinds of weather forecast. I am your host, Dustin Smith, and you can follow me on Twitter at IAKOWDustin. And as always, I'm joined by an all kinds of weather founder and lead writer, Neil Schulman. You can follow him on Twitter at all kinds weather. And if you aren't already, you probably should be following our podcast Twitter, which is IAKOWForecast. Neil, we have a special guest with us today. And that is, of course, Alex Shepard. Hey, Alex. Hey, what's going on? Glad to have you on, man. Um, I think a lot of Gator fans know you for shooting some pretty awesome photos for the last uh, four or five years or so, is it now? Yeah, somewhere around that. I can't remember the exact date I started. It's all kind of fuzzy, but yeah, we'll, we'll call it four or five years. Yeah, so Alex is a photographer. Um, that That is his, his job title, but for our purposes, that means he's been on the same sidelines that the coaches and the players have walked up and down for much of the last few years, last year being the exceptional. He did go to the Cotton Bowl that he probably wishes he didn't have to go to but um i mean he he did tell me um off air he did say to me you know i was glad i went so can't really call that whole trip a failure but the point being alex has been on the same sideline as the players and coaches have been for the last few years he sees what they see and he is a diehard gator fan in his own right on top of his photography skills he really loves watching the film and you know i've i've known alex for a few years i think dustin's known Alex, for a couple years too, uh, we know he is a pretty good football mind and he's going to be the third guy on our pod tonight. So Alex, um, we, we typically like to start our shows with something called the lightning round, which is um, the brainchild of Casey, the other guy that co-hosts his pod with us, but he is sick tonight. Um, so Dustin and I will sort of tag team that. Um, the first question for you is always the same. And that is, why are you a Florida Gator fan? Well, I mean, that's an easy one, honestly. Um, so I was born in Gainesville. So that's number one. That's probably the, the most uh, straightforward answer. But number two, uh, my dad, my uncle, my grandma, my grandpa, and my great-grandfather all went to UF. So, And then I went to UF as well. So I had an entire four-generation family lineage, excuse me, that went to Florida. So it was kind of just, you know, part of my blood since birth. So I, uh, I went to Gator, every Gator game from 1997 to I think like 2017. I did not miss a single home game and, you know, tried to keep that, that trend going as a photographer. Yeah. Well, you've done, you did a pretty good job of that until again, uh, COVID kind of threw a monkey wrench into that. I threw a monkey wrench into a lot of things, but um, so I guess the, a variation of that question is why did you become a photographer? What, what, what drove you to that business? Sure. So, uh, growing up, my dad, uh, you know, was always really into photography. He was actually a photographer at UF when he was there at, for a company called flash photo. And, you know, he, he didn't do a lot of sports. He did do the football team uh, sometimes, but, uh, you know, he would do like headshots and, uh, sorority and fraternity shots for their, uh, portraits and, um, you know, really stemmed from that. You know, he bought me a camera when I was really young and would tell me to practice on like different nature shots. And eventually 
I've, I've mentioned this before on different uh, podcasts I've done, but I, um, I went out to a open practice back when, oh man, I can't remember who the quarterback was. This was like 2015 or 2016. I went to an open practice, took some pictures with, you know, my basic Nikon D3300 and, uh, I think it was Landon Watnick, who was a writer for Inside the Gators at the time, saw my pictures and said, hey, you want to come be a photographer for us and shoot a couple practices? And I said, oh, yeah, that'd be, that'd be awesome. So went from there. He said, okay, well, how about some games? I said, all right. How about some, how about some you know, uh, SC championship shots? Sure, if I'm going to get to go to Atlanta and get a free ticket, why not? And then from there, I went to bowl games, and, and then it became a full season-long thing. It's pretty awesome, man. You you live literally live in the dream of being a Gator fan, but being on the sideline at the same time. That's that, that no, that, that that's a bucket list item for a lot of people that maybe they don't get to check off. And you 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 checked it off before you hit the age of thirty. Before you hit the age of twenty five, <laughs> you checked that off. That's pretty awesome. Um, so on to the Gators themselves. Um, two more lightning round questions, then we'll talk about the current Florida team, but. Um, as it pertains to the Gators historically, since you've been alive, obviously, because you don't remember anything from your own eyes before you were born, um, <laughs> what was your favorite Gator game or your favorite Gator win, I should say, to watch on TV, meaning in your case, probably not a home game, and then your favorite Gator game that you watched in the stands as a fan and that you were photographing on the sidelines as a member of the media? Oh man. Okay. First of all, lightning round. How quick are my answers supposed to be? I don't want to take up too much of your time. Oh, you're good. You're good. You're good. <laughs> um, so on TV, um, probably 2006 national championship. Um, I was with my dad and, and I believe my sister and my mom were there too. I think we watched at Gators dockside in town uh, and, you know, had gotten some seats there and um, just had a really great time with the, with all the people that were around and um, you know, it, I remember it being really loud, really exciting. I was, 13 at the time um so that was really like a you know a lot of people stem their favorite team back from like their teenage years and those were like some of the best years to to remember gator football you know 2006 7 8 um etc so that would be my tv game my attending as a fan game that's hard because uh, there's been so many um as a fan i would probably say not for enjoyment fact necessarily, but the, the, the ending, probably UF Tennessee 2015 with Callaway's throw uh, or from Greer where he had that big throw to uh, take the lead and then the missed field goal uh, to end it was actually like I was sitting in that end zone and I was sitting to the, the if you're looking at the uh, uprights, I was sitting to the left and the ball went to the right and I actually thought he made it. And on TV, if you look closely, you can see me sit down i was standing up cheering obviously i sat down because i th and i was like a hand on my head because i thought he made the field goal and all my friends tackled me and uh you know he, he obviously missed it and we went on to win so that was really cool to attend not to mention i was also there for the um the cock block the one uh uf versus south carolina oh, sure. uh, where jarvis moss blocked that kick so that one was another in-person fan one that i was a lot younger but was a really cool moment to be a part of. Um, and then phot photographing, um, that's probably between two as well. I know it's not a, a single answer, but number one would be the LSU-UF game where um, Brad Stewart picked off Joe Burrow uh, at the end of the game. I was literally on the 10-yard line of the away side. So, I mean, he picked it off and ran right in front of me um, when I was on the sideline there. And then the Auburn game, 
2019. I was in the end zone for P Ryan's touchdown where he literally ran right up into my face. Um, and, and, you know, Swain's touchdown at the start of the game that was right toward me. So uh, those were, there's so many games I could bring up, but those are probably the highlights. Yeah, those are, those are all great picks. Um, um, you mentioned Tennessee 15. I'm a little surprised you didn't mention Tennessee 2017, um, yeah. the sequel, but that one was more painful to watch. I feel like, like they're like the the consistent fourth down and like thirteens that we had in the the Greer Callaway one. That's what made that one exciting. Whereas like I was wanting to punch myself in the face when we were not calling a timeout for the twenty seventeen game and we let it run all the way down to like nine seconds and then we called a timeout. Now that hail mary was incredible. Um, you know, it was definitely a great game too, no doubt. Sure, sure. Dustin, so you want to Alex. Say yeah, Alex, being a Gator fan, was there a game growing up that you watched that you wish you had a camera to capture the moment? Oh, man. I mean, if, if I would have been around for like the 06 or 08 national championships, honestly, that would have been, um, you know, my top two picks. I think that th- those atmospheres to see the Gators actually win a championship in person like that and get to photograph it. I mean, that would have been that would have been just mind blowing. So, yeah, either one of those, I would have taken that real quick. Yeah, I mean, I, I could only imagine you have an opportunity to take a picture of Tim Tebow Oh yeah. Um, at the, uh, I believe it was the 2008 FSU game where he was covered in, in Enzo oh, yeah. paint and yeah. it looked like he was drifting blood, looked like something out of, uh, out of Braveheart or, or some action movie. <laughs> yeah, that would no, be I would have loved that. That would have been, been incredible, no doubt. Which, I, you know, I, I, I got to photograph uh, when the Gators, uh, this was back when Chauncey Gardner was on the team, um, when, you know, he tried to plant the flag at center field and Willie Taggart went to stop him. I got this really cool picture of that FSU game, but definitely I don't think would have been up to the same standard as me getting a shot of Tim Tebow with the, you know, burgundy paint dripping down. That would have been incredible. Oh, no. but that, but that moment, that moment at Ron Zook field was pretty special. That was a <laughs> once in a lifetime. Well, all right. Question. Did you get any photos of Chauncey dancing around with the Seminole head? No. So I was actually one of my main things that I try to do at the end of most games, I haven't done it this season as much because we haven't really faced a head coach that I'm interested in getting the shot of, but I'll typically sprint to center field and get like the handshake uh, between the coaches and then any players who are around there, I'll kind of get a shot of them like shaking hands with other players. But Chauncey fairly quickly, if I, I, I recall correctly, went over and stood up in the stands and was holding the head and doing stuff like that. And it was pretty quick. He wasn't up there for too long, generally speaking. Um, and by the time I had gotten over there, he was already down. So um, I think he had done like the flag first. I got a picture of him and I was just kind of in the middle of this like complete firestorm of people um, who were surrounding him, police officers and trying to hold FSU players back. And I, I, I was just completely like lost in the moment. So no, I didn't get it. Oh, well, well, if I, if I may tip you off, there are, uh, there, there are rumors that such a thing is going to happen again this year. So All right. be, be, be on the lookout for that. Um, I will. Last question of the lightning round, and then we'll head on to the main discussion today. Um, what is your favorite Florida Gator jersey color combo, both home and away? Oh, boy. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to say it that I wish we had the all black, not the swamp green, but I'm waiting for the all blacks, and then those will probably be my favorites if we can get like a neon orange F and – uh, neon orange numbers with some blue i'm waiting for it i just oh, it hasn't happened yet but from what we've actually had i mean 
I, I honestly, I know I might get some hate for this. I'm a fan of the all white, all white top to bottom. Um, you know, but I also, I also really like, um, all blue too. I mean, I, I, the, the classic gator is an easy answer as well. You know, the, the orange helmet, blue top, white pants, but I, I do like when we do like the full top to bottom, like one solid color, like the all blues and the all whites. Monochrome I think that, look. I think that's a, that's a phenomenal question to ask you, Alex, because, you know, we've asked some players and other media members that question, but never a photographer. I mean, your, your job is literally to capture the aesthetic of the game. Mm-hmm. And what they're wearing is, is a super big part of that. Yeah, and that's that's one of the reasons. Uh, not only like aesthetically, I think that the the all whites look really like sharp, but they're always a really good contrast to the the seats and the people behind. Because normally, if you go to a Gator game, a lot of people are wearing orange and blue, and then you know that most of the stadium is painted orange, like uh, you know, uh, big like the walls and where it says like this is the swamp and uh, or welcome to the swamp. I can't remember exactly what it says on the top of my head, but all those parts of the swamp are orange. So when you get that white. Uh, jersey and full outfit up against the, the background of that orange it looks really cool but if you get like all orange on orange backgrounds it can kind of get lost with that background so that definitely plays a part you're 100 right yeah yeah that's still i mean that's why we're kind of glad to have you um although we are now talking about a team that doesn't really care too much about its uniforms and that's kind of a (laughs) a weird transition but there's no other way to transition into talking about the alabama crimson tide i mean they are what everyone says they are they're a dynasty they're a program that doesn't lose too many games they're a program that's won six national championships under coach nick saban and they're florida's next opponent and they're a a program that nick saban just said well we only have two jerseys where we wear red at home we were white on the road. I'm more concerned about the guys who are wearing those jerseys. And that is the, as much as we, we definitely enjoy talking to you about the aesthetics of the game of football, our listeners, I think, at least in most cases, are here to, to hear about the football aspect of it. And you are very, very knowledgeable in that aspect as well. So let's do it. Florida, yeah. Alabama. Uh, a rivalry, I guess you could still call it a rivalry that Alabama has dominated. There's no, there's no debate about that. The Crimson Tide have beaten Florida seven straight times. Um, last time they played was pretty close. Florida took them down to the wire, lost 52-46, and that was a game that I think if maybe one more play or two goes Florida's way, maybe if. John Mechie hit on Trey Dean is called targeting, or if he just doesn't hit him there and knock the ball out, maybe the game ends differently. But in any case, rematch time. Alabama is a different team. Florida is a different team. One thing that does not change for Alabama, though, is that they do not have a real issue at quarterback. They have a guy named Bryce Young who's pretty well entrenched as their starter. Florida does not have that. Florida has a quarterback debate on its hands we won't use the word controversy because dan mullen doesn't like it although to be fair i don't really like some of the things he said um but out of respect for him what do you think alex about the florida gators quarterback debate right now and where do you stand and what do you think about the gators two quarterback system heading into the alabama game 
Well, I think that you and I might have some uh, disagreements on this, but I, since day one, since he arrived on campus, I've been an Emory Jones fan. You know, um, it's, I feel like, again, we're all kind of spoiled. You know, we, we had the offense that we hadn't seen in 10 years uh, with Kyle Trask last year. And so we're all looking for that big quarterback play, which, you know, Emory has, has not lived up to thus far this year. But at the same time, he came in with incredibly high expectations and, and people wanted to see him succeed. And, and, you know, to see him throw four interceptions through two games is not very promising. So um, I'm still on the Emory train. I think he's incredibly talented. I think that he has the ability to succeed. And, um, you know, being the fact that he's been coached by Mullen for, what, four seasons now, three seasons, Um you know, he knows the playbook. He's got the skills. It's just about executing. And, uh, you know, this is obviously going to be his biggest test yet. I think that assuming uh, Anthony Richardson's 100% healthy, I think that we would see a healthy dose of him coming in uh, as a change of pace, kind of like we've seen in the first two games. I don't see Mullen uh, changing up his playbook too much. Um, I just hope that if, if Richardson's 100% healthy, that Dan doesn't, like, hold him out uh, in, in moments of need. Like I, I was surprised in this last game against USF when he threw that like, you know, 60 yard bomb to Copeland on the sideline. I remember how long the throw was, but down the sideline to like the seven yard line, he got pulled from the game because his helmet came off. And then, you know, he, they didn't get put him back in on like fourth and one and, and, you know, have him just plow through the defense. So I hope that we see a healthy dose of both. I hope that Richardson's put in uh, the game for situations that, you know, fit him. Um, where he can, you know, maybe fake a run and throw a long pass or, um, you know, be a, a guy who comes in on third and two and, and bowls over the defense. But I don't think that I'm ready to just throw it, throw it away for Emory after two games, after he's sat and waited his turn to be the starting quarterback at Florida after two games, even though they weren't stellar. Yeah, I mean, that was essentially where I was after the FAU game. I was basically of that exact same mindset, and I I took a lot of heat from Casey and from other Gator fans on Twitter about that because um, I said, you know, it's one game. You can't throw it away. You know, you, you can't just erase all the time he sat and learned and, you know, just developed as a QB. But then, then I see him throw a ball – into four USF defenders. He's staring at them the whole time. Doesn't look back to see maybe if there's a check down, doesn't look to take off. He throws it back into a sea of four emerald green jerseys. And that's against a defense with mostly two-star defenders, three-star defenders, and a fairly simple defensive scheme. He's making those mistakes against a defense with mostly two and three stars and a simple defensive scheme. What's going to happen when he's going up against a defense that's got five stars across the board and that can get more complicated with his scheme and bait him into making mistakes. Like, and, and that oh. I'm not even talking about Alabama there. How about Georgia? Like that's the game we're going to really have to win. How do we know he's not going to do that against Georgia? Yeah, and I, I'm 100% with you that, you know, we are going to see the most talented team we've seen and probably, you know, since we saw Alabama in the, the SC Championship. You know, we are going to have an incredibly 
big challenge and a big task in front of us to, to, you know, beat them. And Emery is going to have to, without a doubt, play the best game of his entire career to win this game. These are, I mean, they're loaded. They have what, like only four and five star guys back there. I'm sure maybe one, three star on the defensive line, but you know, I, I think that at, we've seen Anthony Richardson. He comes in and he has just been lights out on the on the running game. And he's had a couple of good throws. Now, let's not forget, he's also had some some errant throws. He's had a couple here and there. I think there was a few in the uh, FAU game, and he was like three for eight or something like that. Uh, I can't remember his exact statistics, but he, no, you're they right. both, he was three for eight. Yeah, right. so, you know, they both are – struggling a little bit on the throwing game, but we also need to look at this team and say, you know what, what are our strengths? And Mullen preaches that. He says, you know what, we're a running team and I'm going to surround my team with the best of them and and what we do best. I'm going to mold my offense to that. And clearly what we've shown is we have an entire stable of running backs that are all talented, you know, Pierce, Davis, Bowman, Lingard. I mean, we have just a stable, uh, Naquan Wright. You can run all five of those guys on the field and they're going to produce. So we have all that. And then we have two quarterbacks who both can run. I think that we need to be focusing a little bit more on the running game and then, you know, using the passing game as a change of pace rather than trying to run this offense, offense like Kyle Trask is still quarterback. So my, my point is you're saying, you know, what, what happens when he faces these more talented guys? And you know what? It, it, it may not look pretty, but I, I again, I'm still uh, – I might take heat for it. People might not like it, but I'm still going to roll with Emery through this game and then likely into next week as well, regardless of how he plays, unless he throws like seven interceptions and negative 10 oh, rushing yards, oh then maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll rethink oh, that. So Alex, I just want to counter you real quick. So yeah. now we'll get more into the specifics of Alabama and, and what we think of their, their defense in just a few minutes. But you know that Nick Saban is going to be developing a plan to stop the run. They're not worried about our passing ability. I mean, anytime you have a quarterback coming in that, that's already thrown four interceptions, you're not worried about passing. I mean, yeah, AR, he, he threw two bombs for touchdowns and, and another throw that was near perfect, um, that, one, that one to Copeland. Um, and then, ironically, he, he uh, lost his helmet and had to come out. So Saban's definitely going to try to stop the run. Saban is going to create a defensive game plan that loads the box and forces the Gators to have to pass. So, yeah, I hope that we run well. But more than likely, if we're going to win this game, it's going to be it's going to have to be a similar game plan to what Florida did against Georgia in 2020 where we hardly ran the ball, but we threw the ball all over the yard. Unfortunately, we do not have a Kyle Trask throwing the ball right now. We have an Emory Jones. And, yeah, I think he can do it. I agree with you. I, 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 now, when it comes to the debate about which quarterback should start, for the record, I'm saying that if healthy, Anthony Richardson should start because he's the more consistent quarterback. But if it is Emory, I think Emory can do it. Yeah. So, but I mean, both guys, as I, I think I said this earlier, they're both incredibly capable and incredibly talented. Right. And I, I think that starting Anthony Richardson against the number one team in the country 
is is just a big ask and that's that's like throwing him into the wolves and if he comes out there and he lights it up and then you know that is incredible and i would be on the the richardson train for the rest of the year but i'm i mean i'm just kind of like dan mullen in a sense i guess like he always seems to be um you know a fan of his veteran guys the guys who have stuck by him and learned and and kind of bided their time and waited for their turn and i get that there's a like a, a limit to that. Like I would not keep sending a guy out there who's thrown two and three interceptions for, you know, six, seven games in a row. I think that that's a little bit much, you know, um, but I feel like the, the offense, you know, Emery's worked with the ones the most and he's worked. He, he's basically grown up with working with Copeland and Rick Wells and these guys who were taking, you know, the second team reps for a while um, while Trask was starting. So he's got the rapport, but it's just, I don't know what it is. They just need to get it, get it moving because you know, you and I, we all know that they're capable of doing great things. They're all very talented, but you know, I, I, I'm with you. Like at what point do we kind of pull the trigger and say, you know, maybe Richardson's got the hot hand. We stick with that and see how it goes. But on the flip side, what if we put Richardson in and you know, he throws two interceptions. Do we flip the switch back to Emery right away? Or do you just say, I'm going to stick with him for the rest of the season and see how Anthony Richardson does and, you know, toss Emory Jones to the side after he waited his turn three and a half years after just throwing four interceptions in two games. I know that doesn't sound pretty, but you know, just saying. All right. Well, I, I, sorry, Dustin. I, I do, I do have one really quick counterpoint to that though. And then I know Dustin's got a question. He definitely wants to ask next, but um, (laughs) all right. You mentioned Anthony Richardson against FAU, the three for eight stat line. Not great. Um, definitely missed a couple of reads. Here's the difference, though. When Emory Jones has a play that Dan Mullen does not grade him out for very favorably, and, and Mullen gives it to him in the film room, like those bad plays are interceptions in where he's staring down a receiver and giving the defender plenty of time to jump it, um, or he's just throwing it into a sea of green jerseys, or in FAU's case, red jerseys. Um, when Anthony Richardson makes a bad play, he will he'll miss a read. He'll miss the check down. He'll take off and he'll get a few yards out of it. Like right. he's not throwing right. interceptions and hurting the team on his bad reads and on his bad plays. So that's where I kind of look at the film and say, okay, I understand. I, I really do understand that Emory's been here longer, but I mean, those are the plays that are going to lose you a game. Richardson might miss an open receiver, but if he just tucks the ball and takes a sack, that's better than throwing an interception that gets returned for 55 yards. Well, let me, my counter to that is, you know, you're, you're saying Emery, you know, when he makes mistakes, it's interceptions. And when Richardson makes a mistake, he tucks in and runs, but Anthony Richardson's only thrown 11 passes this entire year. Emery Jones has thrown it almost 50 times. So, like, if, if Richardson had thrown 50 times, we, we don't know. It, it, there could be three interceptions. There could be no interceptions. We just – we don't know. It, it, he just hasn't had the same volume. And it, it, it's, it's more of a – Emery's thrown it, I think it's like 49 times this year. You know, he, he's had more throws, and he's had to make more reads. And, yeah, he's made those mistakes. And Richardson could have very well made the same mistakes, or he could have made none and been a prodigy. And, you know, based on the limited time we've seen him running the ball, like, you can tell he's our leading rusher, I'm pretty sure, this year. He's averaging, like, 30 yards a carry. So right. and, and I, 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 I like that. 
but the, I do want to say both sides looking at it, you know, Richardson has thrown like a fifth as many passes as Emery. And we don't know if he would have thrown as many passes, if it would have been perfect or if it would have been worse or et cetera. Right. And, and that's totally fair. But see, that's the thing. We don't know. We don't right. know versus we do know with Emery and he has made some bad decisions. And let's face it. He's thrown four on the stat sheet. Probably should have been, should have thrown six. FAU dropped one that probably should have been taken back for a touchdown. And USF dropped one in the end zone where it was thrown right to the guy's hands. Right. So like it's, we right. do know, and it's not very good versus we don't know. And it could be not very good or it could be great. So that's, I mean, that's sure. really the crux of my argument for Anthony Richardson. And I've been on record as saying, I think that there should very well definitely be a role for Emory on this team still. I mean, I mean, say the way you take a running back out when he needs a breather, when Anthony Richardson gets tired from trying to run over defenders, give Emory a drive or two, like we've done with him when Felipe was the quarterback back in 18. We did it against Georgia. We did it against, um, did it against Michigan in the bowl game. So, you know, right. That, that's just, I'm, f- I'm completely for that, by the way, like I'm totally cool with the, the two QB system. Like, like bring it back to something maybe along the lines of like our 2006 offense. Now I know that Emory is not as prolific of a passer as Chris Leak. Like that's an unfair comparison to make, but I definitely think that it needs to be like that because I, I, I don't think it's fair to send Emory out there and have him throw 30 passes and bring AR in for like one series. Like, I think that AR should be in like every series, like maybe as a third down or like bring him in on second down for a run and then fake one of those runs for a pass. I think that that would be great to have him a huge part of this offense. I still think that Emory should be the starter at this point. So Alex, I mean, you've been in one way, shape or form part of this team for pretty much the entire career of Dan Mullen as the head coach at UF. So you were you were on the sidelines for when Felipe Franks was quarterback. You then uh, were you at the 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 game where Felipe Franks got hurt? Yeah. yeah, I was not on the road. No. You weren't on the road. Okay. Oh yeah, when Kyle Trask took over. Okay. No, I was not on that one. I was I, okay. I mostly shoot home games. Okay. So but I mean you've you've been there for pretty much all the quarterbacks that Dan Mullins had. Yeah. And so you've seen this team in operation with different quarterbacks, and you've seen firsthand uh, not only the, the decisions that Dan Mullen has made, but the results of de- those decisions, both for the good and the bad. You know, of course, we recall um, when in the, uh, I believe it's 2018, and we had a, a game against Missouri, and Felipe Franks absolutely laid an egg. Toward the end of the game, Kyle Trask came in and lit up the field, and then we go into game week. He calls it a quarterback competition. And then, unfortunately, Kyle Trask um, broke his foot, I believe right? He broke his foot. Yeah. So, Felipe Franks comes back, and then Felipe Franks does pretty good against South Carolina the following week. So, you've seen that. You've, you've been a part of that. Um, right. What, in your mind, do you think is going through Dan Mullen's head as he makes a decision? I mean, Dan Mullen is – I mean, Neil and I off, off the record have, have shared – text conversation about this. Dan Mullen might be crazy, but he's not an idiot. He's not stupid. He gets paid in excess of $7 million to coach this football team. In your mind, when you look at a, at a quarterback, Embry Jones, who is 31 for 49, two touchdowns, four picks, and then Anthony Richardson, like you said, threw the ball 11 times, six completions, but six of those completions 
Um, well, two of those six completions went for touchdowns. On top of that, the explosive running ability by AR-15 speaks for itself. What do you think is going through Dan Mullen's mind as he makes his quarterback decision? Well, well, first of all, let me say, like, there's been I – could, I could not even fit it on both hands about how many times I've disagreed with a call, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm trying to be as, you know, unbiased as possible. But uh, from my Gator fan self, not from my SI All Gators photography self, um, you know, I've, I've disagreed with a lot of calls, you know, goal line calls, third down calls. I, I, a lot of them I just scratch my head after, and I'm like, I don't understand what just happened there. But – with this quarterback competition, and I think, you know, I mentioned this to Neil off, uh, off the air, that I feel like he looks at this situation, and a lot of times for Mullen, it's not necessarily the guy who's the hot hand. It's the guy who's been his, like, trusted veteran, like the guy who has stayed by him, who has uh, dedicated himself in practice to, you know, being a part of the team and not transferred. And it feels like a lot of the decisions in the past that he's made has kind of been around that. You know, the guy who uh, – he recruited and has stuck with him and who he trusts with the offense uh, the most. And it's clear that Anthony Richardson has a lot of talent. Like we all see it. We know that he could, you know, pull off a 70 yard run at any moment. And we forget that Emory is actually a pretty talented runner too. They're just different styles of running like AR. He does have a lot of agility, but at the same time, he's more of like a power runner and AR uh, you know, has the ability to bust off that 70 yard run. Now, Emery is more of an agile guy. He's got a lot of speed and quickness and he could pull off one of those runs just the same. But I think that Dan is looking at this and saying, Emery has stuck with it. He's, you know, dedicated himself to the system. He could have transferred after Trask was named starter and, you know, he didn't, he stuck it out. He waited his turn and it's also his highest rated recruit ever. I'm pretty sure his highest rated quarterback uh, recruit or, total overall recruit. Um, and so I think that he wants to see Emory succeed and he's going to stick with the guy who has stuck with him the longest as a starter. Not, not like, I'm not saying that AR should or would sit this entire game unless he's injured. Um, but I think that you'll see Emory start again. I'd be, I'd be pretty stunned if it wasn't Emory starting this next game. Okay. So you mentioned something that I kind of knew was coming um, I didn't want to bring it up on my own because I figured it was going to make its way into the conversation naturally. And sure enough, it did. Um, Mullen went out of his way to poach Emory Jones away from Ohio State. As we know, this was, as you mentioned, this is his highest ranked QB recruit ever. Emory Jones sent Mullen a text in December of 2017 saying, I want to be your quarterback while still committed to Ohio State. That's kind of rare to text the coach of a school that you're not committed to while you are committed to a different school that you want to be the quarterback of a different school. It's kind of rare, but he did that. So then he sits behind Felipe Franks. He sits behind Kyle Trask for three years. So it's understandable that Dan Mullen would want to be loyal to Emory Jones and give him every opportunity because Emory Jones was loyal to him. That said, we have seen before where being loyal to someone within his program does not ultimately work out in the program's best interest. Case in point, Todd Grantham. It is, objectively speaking, very, very surprising that he brought Todd Grantham back for a fourth year after 
His defense gives up 600-plus yards, not once, not twice, but three separate times in 2020. We saw it with Felipe Franks and Kyle Trask. If Felipe doesn't get hurt, which is something that I know nobody who is worth taking seriously was outright rooting to happen, but if he doesn't get hurt, what happens to Kyle Trask? Is he what he is today? If so, what would it have taken for him to play? We have seen loyalty burn Dan Mullen before, multiple times, and burn the program that he has paid, as Dustin mentioned, in excess of $7 million a year to coach. So at what point does this become an issue of, well, he's doing this because of his loyalty and not because this is the best thing for the football program? At at what point do you think it sort of segues into that territory? Well, yeah, I, I look at this and I feel the exact same way you do. And I, and I, I do want to clarify, like when I'm speaking about this, I'm not speaking about like my, I, you know, if I were Dan Mullen, it would be very different. First of all, like, it's not, it's not like he's making all the decisions that I would make personally myself. You know, there are a lot of play calls I would have done differently. There are a lot of, you know, situations I would have had done differently, but I, I don't know if there's a specific point at when you can say, you know what, this is when the loyalty ends. I'm going to go with the hot hand. Now, I think that it should be a, you know, a transition. If we see Emory continue to struggle here against Alabama, we shouldn't knock him necessarily for it because it's Alabama. But I do think that you need to see Anthony Richardson get, again, assuming he's healthy, significant playing time. I need to, I want to see him in there. On, on second down, rushing the ball, getting us extra yardage, and then potentially playing third down as well. And then just coming in as a change of pace. Now, if Emory comes in there and is just having a really tough time, throwing interceptions left and right, is just looking completely lost, and we're down 21 to zero or something like that, then I think that that's a, a time when you could say, you know what, let's just see what happens with, with Richardson running an entire series, maybe two in a row. And if the offense moves with him, then you kind of keep that hot hand, and then maybe you flip the script and you bring Emory in on a third down for, for a throw or, or a run or something to throw them off. Um, but I, I can't give you an exact, you know, on this game, four games in, if he doesn't look this way, then it's time to, you know, switch it up. I, for me, it would be, you know, if, if we see Emery come out and he struggles mightily, you know, going into the second quarter or something like that, then maybe we see more heavy shares of AR. That'd be my pick. I mean, that, that's, that's definitely a fair way to respond to that. It's just we have seen multiple times before where Dan Mullen will refuse to do something because of what seems to be loyalty, because there's no rhyme or reason for it that anyone else can see. It didn't really seem very logical to bring back Todd Grantham after last year. It didn't really seem logical to keep putting Felipe Franks out there. I mean, especially like he, he throws that pick – uh, to Amari Carter against the Miami Hurricanes in 2019 when it was just it was thrown right to him in stride with no gator there. It seemed like at that point, all right, he's had another offseason with you know with the ones. It doesn't seem like he's learned. It doesn't seem like he's gonna learn. So maybe let's go to someone else there. He doesn't do that. So it right. it doesn't feel like he's going to make a decision that is really in the best interest of his team unless he is forced to make it. And that's kind of what concerns me here that, okay, you, you've given me your answer to what is the, 
what is the point at which you say, all right, enough's enough, go to AR. And that there isn't really one, which is fair, but Mullen is the one who is making $7 million a year. And he's the one who's going to have to have that binary switch. All right, that's enough. I got to give AR a shot. I got to give him an extended shot to run the, to run the offense. I wonder with him, I mean, you, and you've been around the program, um, because you're the one on the sidelines photographing the players. You're, you, you have more access than most. So from, from what you, you've seen of him, from what you know of him, does there come a point at which he does that? At, at which point AR does that? or No, at which at point Mullen. Mullen decides to finally stick AR in there um, for gotcha. maybe for good, okay. but as the QB1. Um, I, don't, I don't think that – like you said, his track record shows that he's not typically willing to put somebody in there who he thinks is not ready to run the full offense or, or feels like is not the best. He feels is not the best option at the time. And just based on his track record, um, you know, with Grantham, you know, he, he wants the guy who he's familiar with, who's stuck with him, you know, and, 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 he feels that he meshes with and that, that extends to coaches and extends to players. You know, it was surprising to me, honestly, to see him uh, get rid of the two secondary coaches. I didn't think he was even going to do that. Uh, but I felt like he had to do something and, and he did with switching out the quarterbacks. I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think I see a time, especially during the Alabama game where he says, you know what, Anthony, you're, you're uh, out there and Emory, you're going to be sitting the rest of the game. I definitely don't see that happening. I think that, you know, he's going to trot Emery back out there for at least, you know, maybe the first two series and sprinkle some AR in there. Um, but I don't think that during this game specifically, there would be a time when he would just flip the switch and have AR be the, the full-time guy. I'd be very surprised to see that. Now, would I personally welcome that? Of course. I think Anthony Richardson's incredibly talented. Um, I, I, you know, Emery's my guy, though. I, I do think that he can do it. It's just, you know, a matter of will he do it. Uh, so, so you, right there, you passed the bait test. You passed the uh, the hot take test. You didn't do it. That was that was uh, I was kind of what I expected, but that was good. Um, so that's kind of the message that I think a lot of Gator fans should be hearing right now, and that is Dan Mullen is not going to. First of all, he's not going to throw his QB under the bus. So he's not going to outright say in the public, "Yeah, he sucked." Like that's not going to happen. Second of all, and probably in a more nuanced um, take here. Uh, Mullen is also not going to say to Emory Jones, you know, we're going to sit you the rest of the game. We're going to let AR take it the rest of the way. That's just not in his DNA either. Um, I think the middle ground to that though, is giving AR a drive or two with the pretense of it being a, a drive or two and seeing how it goes. And then when the offense moves the ball fairly well, then he just says, "Yeah, let's ride the hot hand and let's uh, let's let's stick with him." Um, so we've we've pretty much beaten the QBs to death here. I think um, there are other positions on the field that also are going to have a say in the outcome of this game. Specifically, the guys who are going to be catching the passes from Emory Jones, the guys who are blocking for him. Because I mean, if those guys don't do their jobs, it's going to be a lot harder for them to look good. So um, I'm going to ask you to, I know your, I know your media credentials cover you to take photos, but I'm going to ask you to take your photographer hat on. I'm going to ask you to put your, um, your, your fan slash your, I don't are, Have you ever reported on games or no? 
Have you ever been uh, briefly? Place? Yeah. I mean, I would give takes, you know, back in the day when I was doing stuff with inside the gators, I would okay. sometimes, you know, have a byline with Landon and stuff like that. Okay, cool. So I will, I will ask you to recall those memories and put your reporter hat back on and tell me what Sorry. you think of the rest of the Florida offense and how they match up with big, bad Bama. What do you think? Um, well, first of all, let me just give a big shout out to Jacob Copeland. I mean, that guy, I, he's been a buddy for a few years now, and I was just really happy to see him finally have that, that big game. And I think that this game is going to be an extra to him because I, I, we all remember his uh, commitment ceremony. And uh, like half of his family wanted him to go to Bama and, you know, with his mom walking out and everything. That was, that was a big deal for him. And I think that coming up against a Bama team that he could very well have been a part of at this moment is going to mean a lot. And I hope that he absolutely balls out this game and, you know, has another big game. I think that as well, you know, I want to see more out of Justin Shorter. We haven't seen a lot of Shorter this year. I think he's, let me, I have my stats over here. He's only caught six balls for 34 yards. I mean, Jacob Copeland's caught six balls, but for 190 yards. So Shorter is that big bodied guy that I think could be a mismatch for some of these Bama cornerbacks. Will they involve him more? I don't know. Looks like Copeland and Henderson uh, are the two hot hands at the moment. Um, but shorter, I'd like to see more of. Henderson, you know, he's had a decent season with, you know, averaging 17 yards per catch. Um, but I'd like to see, you know, some more quick routes, some more quick throws that, that go across the middle that allow these athletes to really get moving on the ball instead of, you know, I don't, I'm not a fan of like throwing screens every single series, honestly. Um, Running backs, we haven't, like I said earlier, we have a whole stable of running backs. I'd be happy throwing any of these guys out there on any drive. I think they're all incredibly talented. And I think that if we could just keep them rotating, unless we get a hot hand, like we were talking about, I think we should rotate these guys like on a series basis to keep them fresh throughout the game. And if one guy starts to have that hot hand, we start feeding that guy um, until he is you know, out of breath. And then we bring in another guy. And so you know, we were talking earlier and, and you mentioned earlier something about the fact that uh, Saban is going to be planning for this defense to be ready for a, a rushing attack. And Saban's going to be ready for whatever kind of attack. He, he, he is ready for the passing. He's ready for special teams. He's ready for everything. It's not going to be, you know, we're not going to be able to run and we're going to be able to pass because Saban didn't plan for it. He's going to be ready for whatever we throw at him. That's just his MO. So I think that what we need to focus on is well, just to, real quick, yeah, real quick, just just to kind of explain myself for that particular point. You're right. Saban is going to be ready for anything. That he, he's brilliant. We'll we'll talk about that in a second. What I was looking at specifically is because of the type of Mullen, the type of offense that Dan Mullen runs with a spread offense. You're spreading the field, and what you're doing is you're making the defense make a decision. Am I going to cover the run? Meaning, am I going to load the box? Um, or am I going to cover the pass? Am I going to put five and six defensive backs in, make sure that nothing gets mm -hmm. downfield? That's a choice that every team has to make. Now, good teams like Alabama, they can do both. But my hunch and correct me if, if, if you think I'm wrong, but my hunch is that Alabama is going to load the box 
and force us to throw the ball. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely think you're going to see that. But, you know, we also need to look at the fact that let, – let's look at the Alabama from last season, right? I'm sure that going into the SEC championship, uh, Nick Saban was saying – this team is an incredible team at passing the ball. That's been their strength all season. We're going to plan for the passing game. And they probably, I, I, I'd have to watch the tape back, but they probably dropped five, six in coverage, maybe more sometimes, knowing that we were going to pass the ball. Yet Kyle Trask still threw for over 400 yards on them. So, and we, I don't, we, we had less than, I think like less than 60 rushing yards in that game. So they're going to know that, you know, they're going to stack the box against us, but just because they stacked the, bo- the box against us does not mean that we can't run on them. Just, just like last year, there was all the hype that they're going to stop the pass. They weren't going to stop Kyle Trask in that passing game. We threw the ball all over them. So if running is what we do best, then I think that that's what we need to focus on. And then when we have a read and hopefully they make the, the, the read this time that they're stacking the box and you have man on man coverage on the outside, that that's the time when you, can bring an AR in, make it look like you're going to run on like a like a second and four or a third and two, some short, uh, you know, short to gain yardage, and then that's when you do that kind of like stutter step with AR, and you can throw a bomb, or you can even do that with with Emory Jones, you know, where we can bait them in with the run while we're you know we've done like two straight, three straight plays with the run, and we get a first down, and then we bait them in that get a long throw there. So I think that there's a way we can work around this. And I, I know it's easier said than done, right? Like none of us have, have been in collegiate level athletics. As far as I know, Neil, you might've been like a, a middle linebacker in, in college or something. Um, but tight end in high school. But all right. So gotcha. I, pl- I played linebacker uh, in high school and middle school, as well as I was a long snapper. But uh, so uh, there's so many ways that we could work this out. I just think that if the run game is our strength, that, we need to try to run to open up the passing game a little bit more instead of the opposite where we try to force the passing game, which has proven to be more of a weakness to open up the run game. I think that I, I, this is going to be a a hot take. I feel like, and people are going to disagree, but I feel like we can run on Alabama, even though they have one of the top running defenses in the country. I think that, I think that this is my take. I think we're going to get over 200 yards rushing on Alabama this weekend. Oh boy, you're really rolling the dice now. Um, uh, we'll see. Um, an Alabama stacked defensive front means a lot more difficult of a day than a stacked USF front. But True. we um, we we will see. Um, okay, we'll we'll get into that in a moment. We're going to make some predictions in just a moment. But uh, got to ask you about the other side of the ball. When Alabama's got the football, Florida's going to have its hands full. Um, as we all know, the defense was just, just awful last year. It seems to have been making some strides this year. Granted, FAU and USF are not the gold standard of college football offenses, but then again, neither was Vanderbilt last year, and we didn't really even look so great against them. But point being, Florida's going to have problems all, all around the field because when you lose Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell, um, I mean, it it would seem like you're going to have problems. And Mac Jones and Najee Harris, it would seem like you're going to have problems. But Bryce Young has been very good so far, granted through two games, but he's looked very good. John Mechie has been a very dependable receiver throughout his time there, and he's stepped into the larger role here um, in 2021. So Florida's defense is going to have problems, I think, across the board. And as always, their offensive line is tremendous. So um, 
I mean, I guess the way to ask this without spoiling our final segment is, I, I mean, what do you think of Florida's defense this year? Do you, I mean, in, in that, do you think it is actually better than last year, or do you think they, that they've just played easier competition? And what do you expect to see schematics-wise from the Gator defense against Alabama? Well, like you mentioned, uh, Bryce Young has just been – off the charts. He's throwing for more than or landing more than 70% of his passes. Um, no interceptions on the season is just looking incredible. I mean, but we also need to look at it, even though, you know, he's looking incredible. He is still a young quarterback. Now that Nick Saban has had a, a bunch of young quarterbacks and they've all succeeded one way or the other, pretty much it feels like, but I think you're going to see classic Grantham. I don't think that you're going to see him dropping guys into coverage uh, the majority of the day. I think that you're going to see him, playing a lot more press coverage and bringing the heat from like corner blitzes, stuff like that, that could potentially frazzle Bryce Young a little bit. Now that's me. I, that's what I hope happens. Will, will that actually happen? I don't know. But like you said, uh, Mechie's been incredible. That, uh, Williams uh, is actually leading their team, their team in yards and averaging 22. So if you look at their uh, 22 yards per catch, um, but if you look at their team and you look at their top receivers and their average yards per catch, the top six are above 10 yards. So they're, they're not throwing little dump offs most of the time. They're, they're looking downfield on some of these guys. And that's what we need to be careful of because the linebackers, we also need to see, I don't, I don't know if, uh, what the latest is on Ventrell, um, but hopefully is he out? He's, he's not going to play a Saturday. Okay, well, then we have Bernie, uh, Diabate, um, you know, Ty, uh, Tyrone Hopper. A lot of these younger guys that are not yet, uh, well, Bernie's not younger, but Hopper and Diabate, who, you know, are going to be expected to step up against the one of the top offenses. And I think that that's going to be a big storyline is how do the linebackers play? I think that we certainly have capable cornerbacks. I think that, you know, I, I would love to see Torrance have a big game at safety. Um, but it's the only way we're going to, I think we're going to stop this. And I, I, this is not a a ploy to get the fans to, Oh, come show up. I honestly think that the biggest thing that we can do as fans and as, as supporters of the Gators is to have a completely packed house and, and, and somehow affect Bryce Young. Now I do want to mention, I, you know, I hope everyone can stay safe. I hope that everyone can, you know, if they're able and are willing to get vaccinated to do so, because I want to keep the stadium safe. I want to make sure that everyone has a great time. Uh, and that, you know, we're all allowed to continue going to stadiums this year. But a packed house of 90,000 fans screaming in Bryce Young's ear is going to make a difference no matter who his coach is. So I hope that we come out and have an entirely incredible uh, attendance, which I'm sure we will. And then I'm gonna, I think we're going to see Grantham throwing a lot of, you know, pressure on Bryce Young early on and see if that affects him. So before we dive into what we call the verdict, which is basically our big predictions for the game. I want to talk to you about something that we've actually talked about on this podcast quite a bit, especially coming into the season. I mean, this Nick Saban-led Alabama team is the measuring stick for all of college football. I mean, for anybody that doesn't call this Alabama program a dynasty, I think they've been buried under a rock for the last 10 to 12 years. I mean, what Nick Saban has done at Alabama has been unprecedented. The national championships that he's won, the top recruiting classes that he's acquired, 
the NFL talent that he's developed. He's done such an amazing job. For all that's made about this Alabama team, arguably other than maybe Ole Miss, last year no team got closer to defeating the Crimson Tide than Florida. Now, I know this Florida team is not the Florida team of 2020, especially in terms of the offensive side of the ball, but this is still a Florida team that knows and realizes that they're just six points under Alabama, at least in terms of what we saw last year. What would it, and this is my, my final question for you in, in this part of the show, but what would it mean to this Gator team to defeat the Crimson Tide? That would be the single biggest win in program history in my recent memory. I mean, obviously the national championships were huge in 06 and 08, but since then, this would be the biggest win since probably the Ole Miss game in 2015. Um, I, you, honestly, you might see people storm the field if we pull off a win. I mean, that, that much. And to the players, a lot of these guys you know, were recruited by Alabama. You know, you probably have 25, maybe 40% of these guys on the team had an offer from Bama. And guys like Jacob Copeland, who was in their final three, and, you know, it looked like he was potentially heading there and chose to come to Florida. These are the games that these players came to play in. I know that sounds really like Dan Mullinett-esque to say, but if they pull off a win here, this is going to be a program-defining win and very well could turn the tides of, like, recruiting – uh, definitely the way people will see Florida the rest of the season. But not only will that win mean a lot, it'll also put a target on our back that we actually are the big dogs now and everyone's going to be coming for us. And that Georgia game will mean even more at that point. Yeah, Alex. So, I mean, while we're at it, let me ask you one more question about this game. Yeah. You're, you're going to be photographing this on the sideline. Yes. I mean, other than maybe the – the 2019 LSU game or the Auburn game. I mean, is there a, was there a bigger, um, or a 2018 LSU game? My apologies. Is there a, what are you most looking forward to photograph at this game? What, what shot are you hoping to capture? I know you, you might not want to reveal your secrets, but is there, is there something you can reveal to our audience about what shots you want to capture during the game? Well, I, I've had the opportunity to photograph Alabama uh, and Florida one time before, and this was when uh, we lost the SEC championship to them, what was it, three or four years ago? It was, it was when McElwain, I'm pretty sure, uh, when we went there after beating LSU in like 2016. 2016, um, yeah. uh, I went there and I got to shoot that Alabama team, but at that point I was really green. I didn't know what to look for. I didn't understand really football photography to the level that I do today, and so most of the time now, you know, whichever team is driving, uh, I'll usually go sit in the end zone because I know that more likely than not, it's going to end up coming my way. And so what I, the one shot I would really like to get in this game would be the post game handshake between uh, Mullen and Saban. Um, I think that that would be a pretty prized picture of mine. Um, But also, you know, something that I try to do, this is not um, like a popular thing or, you know, something that I think that most people would expect is, you know, back when I used to play football, I was, I was not the starter, you know, I was not the big guy on the field. And there are a lot of guys who are sitting on the sidelines that, that don't necessarily get the playing time or get the recognition, but they're there at practice putting in just as much work as everyone else. And so 
I'm also going to be looking to those guys on the sideline and trying to get a couple shots of them because I know how they feel, not necessarily to the same level. Obviously I'm not a collegiate athlete, but these guys are putting in the work and they deserve the credit too. And so there are a lot of guys who are friends of mine who, uh, you know, are not starters who, you know, they'll reach out to me after a game and say, Hey, did you get any shots of me? And, you know, hopefully whether it be this game or the games rest of the season, I hope I can come through for them. That's pretty awesome, man. I love that. I, I really do love that getting everybody their fair shot. Um, with a with a nice shot um okay so verdict time time to make some predictions so um alex the verdict works basically by us going around and each giving a key to the game and then our score predictions so we'll do the keys first um what is your key to this florida alabama showdown this weekend Well, in terms of a key for the Gators to win the game, I think that if we can shut down their passing game, I think we win. I think if we can force Bryce Young to throw at least two interceptions or if we can get an interception and a fumble, I think we can win the game. I I don't know how high scoring it's going to be. I know that Alabama is very high-powered. Um, but I do feel like if we can just at least you know, put some pressure on Bryce Young and force him to make some tough decisions and tough throws that we have the talent on defense to pull off an upset. So that's the, the biggest thing is I think if we can shut down Bryce Young, whether it be through the air or on his feet, which he doesn't run too often, um, but I think if we can shut him down, we'll win. Okay, do you have a key player that you want to you wanna watch for? On the on uh, well on offense, I think this goes without saying. I think that Anthony Richardson's the one that we're going to have to keep our eye on. If he's the healthy, if he's healthy and he comes in with no hamstring issues, no lingering problems, and he's a hundred percent go, I think we need to keep our eye on how much he plays. So um, that's my offensive player on defense. My biggest one is going to be Zach Carter. I think he's had a, a, a and, and not to mention, I would also even throw uh, Jeremiah Moon in there. I mean, they Moon's had a quiet season, but has been really solid and i want to see if we can get the pressure off the side and that's where that you know that pressure on bryce young is going to stem from and so those are my guys on each side of the ball that i think you know we need to keep be on the lookout for so my big key for this game is turnovers i'm probably stealing what Neil was going to say but florida can't turn over the ball i mean Embry jones in the last two games he threw two interceptions that can't happen against Alabama. And ironically, Alabama has is sporting a much better uh, defensive back unit than either of the teams we just played. So it's going to be a tall task, but Embry Jones can't throw a pick. It just can't happen. On top of that, we, we have to force turnovers. I love the fact that Kyer Elam got an interception. But, I mean, if you're a 14-point underdog, which is what Vegas is showing, we'll talk about the, the score projections in just a minute, but we're going to have to force turnovers. I want to see Gervin Dexter pick up a fumble like he, like he did against uh, FAU. I want to see uh, Avery Helm, maybe Jason Marshall, potentially even a linebacker, uh, Jeremiah Moon, get an interception, get the ball, do it. You know, we're not Miami. We're not going to pull around with the turnover chain or whatever. But I don't care what we call it. Let's get the ball. You're on defense. Do your assignment. When the time comes, get the ball. 
That's got to be your mentality if you're going to beat Bama. I'm telling you, if you look at every time Bama's lost in the last five, six years, I guarantee you that a, a stat line that was consistent with that is the turnover ratio. Bama lost the turnover ratio, if I'm not mistaken, every time they lost. We have to win the turnover ratio. Players to watch, I'll be quick. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tie two together. That second quarterback, cornerback, defensive back spot, Avery Hellman and Jason Marshall. That's going to be the player to watch because knowing Nick Saban, knowing how brilliant he is as not only a defensive mind but an offensive mind, he is going to attack Avery Helm and Marshall for the entire game. So those two players have to step up. Jason Marshall has to prove why he was one of the top players in the country. Not just top defensive backs, but one of the top players in the country as a five-star. Okay, those are pretty good picks. Um, I, don't, I don't like to use history too much to predict the future, but I do like to say those who fail to remember history are kind of doomed to repeat it. So I went back and looked through all the games that Alabama's lost under Nick Saban, aside from his first year, because almost everyone beat them that first year. Um, and what did all those teams that beat Nick Saban have in common? Well, aside from 2011 LSU with Jordan Jefferson, aside from 2008 Utah, Brian Johnson, um, and now dearly departed Brian Johnson in Florida's case, um, what did those teams have in common? Great QB play. Johnny Manziel in 2012, Tim Tebow in 2008. Uh, Steven Garcia wasn't generally regarded as a great quarterback, but he played great in that game against Alabama, aside from throwing the ball out of the end zone for a safety. Cam Newton, um, Trevor Knight of Oklahoma. Nick Marshall wasn't a great QB in 2013, but he played great that one game, and he made plays, and on and on and on and on and on and so forth. It was great quarterback play that beat them. Florida's going to need great quarterback play from Emory Jones and or Anthony Richardson. Um, I... You know, as Dustin said, we, we think Dan Mullen might be crazy, but he's not stupid. Um, I, I would like to believe that that's the case. I think his pedigree speaks for itself. I would like to see him prove that on Saturday. So let's see what you do, Dan Mullen. Let's see what you do with your QBs, and let's see how they play. Um, and piggybacking off that, well, the, the offensive player to watch is going to be Anthony Richardson and Emory Jones. I'm going to have to use two because those are the two guys that are going to get the snaps there. So how do they play? Do they limit their bad plays? Do they learn to just, you know what, it's not there. Let's just take a sack and be done with the play. Um, or do they make things worse and throw a pick? So, and that goes for both AR and Emory. Defense, I'm going to agree with Alex and say Zach Carter has to be the guy to watch. He is the guy that came back for his senior year to win or to play in and win games of this nature. So, you know, this is it. Uh, Florida, Georgia will probably be the exact same in terms of stakes, but this is, this is as big as it gets. So you came back to win this type of game. Let's do it. Um, score prediction time. The big finale of our show. Alex, what you got? So do you want my Gator fan prediction or my reporter logical prediction? Yeah, that's the second one. That because that's what Dustin and I do. Uh, the motto of this pod is keep it respectful, but keep it real. So keep it All real, right. man. Well, I I do think that 
we're going to see a really good game. I don't think that personally, I don't think it's going to be a blowout by any means. Um, at least through three quarters. I think that we're going to keep it close halftime. You know, it's probably going to be a one score game, two score at the most. Um, but final score prediction, if I have to you know, say it from a logical standpoint, going to be a tough day for the Gators. I hope that they can pull off an upset, but I'm going to say 38-27 Bama. Dustin? Yeah, Alex, um, off, off air, Neil and, and Casey and I were, were going back and forth on this. Um, I think if AR plays significantly – and he can have the production that he had against USF. I think we'll 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 be in in shooting range, you know, for for lack of a better term, pun definitely intended, um, of beating Alabama. But I think it's going to be very difficult. So we're all going to be rooting for the upset, and we'll be going insane if it happens. But as a score, I have to go with thirty-seven to twenty-four. I think just like you, Alex, I think it's going to be close. To start up the game, I think we're going to exchange leads, but I think Bama is the best team in the country, and they're going to play like it Saturday. Bama is the best team in the country, but the best team in the country doesn't always win every single game. Um, is that is that me leading into an upset pick? Because I did pick Florida to beat Alabama in the preseason. Yes, you did, Neil. I did. Uh, I'm sort of teasing it like Lee Corso with the headgear here. Um, am I am I teasing an Alabama upset pick? Is it an elephant or is it a gator head? No, Neil, let us know. No, it's not. It is the elephant head. Alabama is going to be the team that we thought they were all going to be uh, when they come into the swamp, and that's going to be a team that's very fundamentally sound on both sides of the ball, a team that doesn't really make mistakes, a team with an explosive offense, not an elite defense, but certainly a very good one and more than good enough to bait Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson potentially into mistakes. Um, I think Florida scores first. I think Florida has an early lead that gets the swamp up and rocking. Alabama is too strong in the trenches for me to really think that Florida can seriously compete with them for all four quarters. Um, I mean, I mean, Florida's offensive line isn't terrible, certainly uh, speaking objectively, but I I don't think we've got – the horsepower to match up with them where football games are really won. And that's, you know, the line of scrimmage between the tackle box. So I do think Florida scores first. I do think that they keep it respectful, respectable, but at the end of the day, Alabama is just too strong where it matters. And uh, even if Emory Jones or Richardson play great, it's going to be an Alabama win. Um, I think it'll be 38 to 21. Um you know, clean sweep across the board. All of us picking Bama, all of, with pretty congruent score predictions. Um, so, Alex, before we sign off and call it a show, uh, where can people find your work? Yeah. So, first of all, thank you both for you know reaching out and having me on here. I you know I love the stuff that you guys do. Um, you know, both on on Twitter and off in real life. Um, you know, I, I do appreciate you reaching out, but. My Twitter is at Agent Shep, um, and then my Instagram is at Alex Shepard Photo. Uh, I'll be posting all my content after the game's on there. Um, and as well, I'm shooting for All Gators on Sports Illustrated, and you can find them on Twitter at SI All Gators. I think it's SI underscore All Gators. Um, so appreciate you guys having me on. Enjoy the conversation and look forward to getting more shots this year. 
Yeah, man. We appreciate you taking the time to come on our show. It was, it was a pleasure to have you. You're definitely a great guest. Um, Dustin, you and I will be there in the swamp. We will hopefully try to meet up with you, Alex. Um, but as Alex said, let's pack the swamp. Let's be loud. Let's try to get in Bryce Young's ear and let's try to make it a day that Gator Nation will never forget. So we'll may as well take this time before we sign off to remind y'all that we are proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that works to send an underprivileged Gator fan of the swamp. We are about a week and a half away from the special day of Ontario Jones. He is an Army veteran who, who, who he was injured in a laser training accident uh, while serving this country. Um, while doctors were examining him, they discovered he has a rare eye condition called retinitis pigmentosa that will someday, eventually, unfortunately, cost him his eyesight. So he is determined to see a Gator game before that happens. And thanks to the Gator Good Foundation, that will be happening next Saturday under the lights against the Tennessee Volunteers. To learn more about his story, go to GatorGoodFoundation.com, where you can also donate to help us get a jump start on our 2022 campaign. You can also follow the Gator Good Foundation social media handles at the Gator Good on Twitter, at Gator Good Foundation on Instagram, and the Gator Good Foundation on Facebook. Second, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting in your marketing and deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or somebody known needs professional help in any of the above, here are two great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One is it is a veteran-owned business. Can't think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving them business. And number two, it's run by a Florida Gator fan. So yes, they do great work, but they do great work, and they're owned by a Florida Gator fan who happens to be a U.S. veteran. To learn more about their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. So that's all we've got today on the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. If you've enjoyed our show, we encourage you all to subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify. And remember to give us a five-star rating and a nice review. Alex, again, thank you for joining us. You know, you've always been a huge inspiration to me. I know that um, we talked on this pod before about some of the photography opportunities that I've been a part of, but Hey man, thank you so much for being a part of this. And, and I look forward to seeing a great game and regardless what happens, we know that there's going to be some great photos that are going to be coming from your, your camera. Maybe you might be bringing multiple cameras. Um, so, uh, yeah. Thanks. Alex. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you so guys. Much, go, Alex. go Gators. And now, it is time for Dustin Smith to end this show the only way he knows how. Neil, thank you for the reminder. I just got to say this. It's yeah, game week. Yeah, you needed a reminder. It's game week. Florida Gators versus the Alabama Crimson Tide. I just got two things to say. Beat Bama and go Gators! Go Gators.